I often work on sermons in cafes. And in part, this is because I'm just kind of productive there, but in part, it's because I get to have a lot of really interesting conversations with strangers. And I don't know if you have this experience, but if you want one of my kind of special secrets of how I talk to strangers in public places, I will tell you. Dress like a priest. <laughs> Sometimes I walk in and I think like no one in a clerical collar has darkened the door of this cafe for like 30 years because people just like stare at me. It's like I'm some mythical creature from like a PBS show that's just sort of materialized by the espresso machine. And sometimes, best case scenario, these conversations actually turn to serious stuff and I actually get to have a really interesting talk about faith with someone. And often these will be folks who have really never had a conversation about their faith with a random stranger. And ultimately, I'll invite folks to come visit us at Grace and sometimes people actually show up. But a lot of the time, people don't. Instead, they'll say something like, well, it would just be hypocritical of me to come to your church, because I don't believe that stuff. I'm a science person. I'm not a, not a faith person. In today's readings from Hebrews, we're told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That faith is a kind of trusting and a kind of hoping, and not a theory about the origin of things. So historically, Christians wouldn't just say, I believe that. I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Instead, we would say, I believe in God. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is not just a different way of saying the same thing. Belief that something is the case is a statement of probable facticity. I believe that the North Pole exists. I believe it because I've seen it on a bunch of globes since I was a little kid, and I think that it's much more likely that there actually is ice at the north of the planet than that there's this weird plot by cartographers to trick me into thinking there's ice at the top of the planet. But ultimately, my belief that the North Pole exists does not really influence my life too heavily one way or the other. Belief that is just intellectual belief. Whereas a belief in is a belief that actually shapes your life, shapes what you do with your life. Belief in is something that you hope in, something that you trust in. So in saying that I believe in God, I'm not just saying that he's the best explanation for why there is something instead of nothing. He's the best explanation for the Big Bang. Instead, I'm saying that he is the goal of my life, my hope, my joy. That God is the one in whom I put my ultimate trust. Belief that is just a precursor for belief in. So Hebrews speaks of this hope in things unseen, this deep trust in the one who undergirds all things and sustains all things, and that is faith. But there are times when what we can see gets in the way of that ultimate trust. In this age of the 24-hour infotainment news cycle, we are constantly being made aware of all the unspeakable horrors of this world. There are the mass murders in El Paso and Dayton. There's ISIS and white supremacy. There's cancer and heart disease. There's political strife, environmental crisis. And it can feel like the world is literally falling apart while we watch. It can be hard to just trust in the goodness of God. And if you have ever felt this way, then I would say that today's gospel is written just for you.
In it, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good purpose, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I think you might easily misunderstand this gospel and hear it saying, if you have real faith, then you'll believe that none of this matters. That you'll go to heaven eventually, so you can just ignore all the stuff going on in the world. But I think that this would be a worldly reading, a faith that perspective, instead of a faith in perspective. What Jesus seems to really be saying is that what matters is that we have faith in God and live our lives accordingly. Let our lives show forth that faith. What does it mean to say that it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? One early church theologian, Origen of Alexandria, said that a kingdom is not a territory, nor is it a specific era in the life of a country. It is the place where a group acknowledges the king as their sovereign, where a group tries to do the king's will, where a group lives in obedience to the king. So at the end of time, in the new creation, in heaven, all things will be obedient to God, to the Lord of life. But here and now, the kingdom is also, said Origen, anywhere where someone begins to serve the Lord, to make his will our will, to live as his subjects. And it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, here and now. Today's reading from Hebrews discusses the faith of Abraham, and elsewhere in the same letter we hear about the faith of Noah and Enoch and Abel. And in all these discussions of their faith, it wasn't a question of ignoring the world and believing that God would eventually take care of things, but of believing in God, living in obedience to God, trusting God, living not merely in the hope of the kingdom, but living out the kingdom of God here and now. So the world would say that Noah went completely bananas when he spent all of his money building a giant boat and then put together, like, the best petting zoo ever created by a human. <laughs> but Noah heard this call from God, and he obeyed. That was his faith. He was living out his faith. And the world would say that Abraham was insane when he left behind his home and his kin and all of his social connections, his whole community, left the city of Ur and just wandered out into the desert with his family and flocks. But the Lord spoke, and Abraham was not afraid to obey God. So if we were called neither to fear the world nor to ignore the world, what is it that the Lord is asking of us? Like Noah, like Abraham... It's actually something terrifying and something that, from the world's perspective, is completely crazy. Jesus tells us not to fear and then immediately tells us what this looks like, what the kingdom within us looks like. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the world would say, uh-uh, no, you worked hard for that money, and you're going to give it to somebody who doesn't deserve it? That's crazy. You're going to give away your money to feed some random person? To help them do their laundry at Laundry Love? You're going to give to charity? You're going to actually sell your possessions and give your money away. You're nuts. 
Instead, you should do something important, something meaningful with that money. You could, like, you buy a Maserati, you know? That'll bring, like, meaning and joy to your life. If one Rolex is good, a collection of Rolex is better, you know? 15, get 15, 20 Rolexes, like, that's really gonna change you. Treat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. And we're kind of tempted to say, well, he's speaking metaphorically here. This isn't, like, literal stuff. This is poetic. But where would Noah be if the Lord said, build an ark, and he said, well, that's an interesting way to think about my spirituality. Yeah, I'm going to think in terms of an ark from now. He would be underwater. That's where Noah would be. Like Noah and like Abraham, each of us is being called to believe in God and to trust God and obey God. And if this is what Christ instructs us to do, to live in the kingdom here and now, and to prepare for our entry into the eternal kingdom, how should we respond? So, no question, the ideal is what the, the disciples did. It's what St. Francis did. It's actually having a giant garage sale, giving money to the poor, and going to follow Christ with nothing. And if you were there spiritually, that's right on. Awesome. Go for it. I, I will be your biggest fan. But for the rest of us, I think there's still hope. I think it's a matter of baby steps. I think it's a matter of finding someone who needs our help and trying to help. I think it's a matter of contributing to charity a little bit more each year. I think it's a matter of being a little bit more generous with the poor. Buying somebody a sandwich. Buying somebody a bag of groceries. Maybe eating out one less night a week and giving that money to a food pantry. Maybe cutting back on a luxury or an indulgence and putting a couple of thousand dollars a year in service to your neighbor. What luxury could you live without? What food item could you live without? Shockingly, the answer is almost anything. It is the grace of God that's the one thing we can't live without. It is the kingdom of God working within us and transforming us that is the one thing we can't do without. So what little bit of your life can you cut off and sacrifice to store up treasure in heaven? We're not simply called to believe that we are destined for the kingdom and not to think about the world. Instead, we're called to live in and for the kingdom, to live in loving obedience to our God here and now and at the end of our lives. So do you really believe in God and trust in his promises? Then turn and follow his command to care for his children. Amen.